Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Researchers have found new evidence that COVID-19 was likely present on the West Coast earlier than previously known. Scientists with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention found coronavirus antibodies in samples from several dozen blood donations collected in California, Oregon, and Washington State in mid-December of last year. Charles Chu studies infectious diseases at UC San Francisco. He called the findings convincing, but says the study doesn't indicate widespread COVID-19 at that time. The take-home message from the study is that there probably were a few infections in December and January. The, the cases were still very, very rare. The study was unable to determine if the infections came from people who traveled overseas or from spread within communities along the West Coast. The California Department of Public Health is recommending weekly COVID testing for all healthcare workers at hospitals. KQED's Polly Stryker has more. It's a recommendation that makes Deborah Berger, an RN in Sonoma and president of National Nurses United, very happy. She says the union lobbied for it for months. I think what really brought it to a head was seeing that football teams were being tested on a daily basis, yet people that were dealing with COVID in hospital settings weren't getting tested. Berger says regular testing is vital to protect nurses, patients, and the community from the spread of COVID-19. While not a mandate, the State Department of Public Health strongly recommends the weekly testing starting December 14th. A spokeswoman for the California Hospital Association says it's concerned the testing could put a huge strain on hospitals during the surge. For the California Report, I'm Polly Stryker. As COVID-19 cases soar, communities of color are bearing much of the burden, including Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders. CAP Radio's Pauline Bartoloni has more about how these communities around Sacramento are trying to bring infection rates down. When Catherine Ofa Mann first came down with COVID in June, she felt like she just needed a little rest and water. She had a small cough, but breathing was hard. The doctor at the urgent care took one look and he said, 
oh my goodness, you need the um, oxygen. I says, yes, I, I need oxygen. I, I'm here to get an inhaler <laughs> because uh, I think I have bronchitis. And he said, I would like to send you to the hospital. Mann tested positive and spent a couple of days in the hospital. She grew up on the island nation of Tonga, a short plane ride from New Zealand, and now runs an organization that serves Pacific Islanders. She says recently her community members have been falling ill to COVID, and some of them are dying. Families don't want to even talk about it. They don't want to even say that they have it. And they take care of their own because they heard that people go to the hospital, they die. You know, they, they, there's no medicine. Pacific Islanders are a small population in Sacramento County, roughly 20,000 people. But local and state data indicate the rate of COVID among them is higher than in whites, Latinos, Blacks, and Asians. Dr. Reynold Samoa leads a national COVID task force for Pacific Islanders and says many of them are vulnerable because they're essential workers. Just like other communities of color, uh, there's a significant percentage that live in multi-generational homes. And there's a lot of sort of crowding and, and not as stringent worker protections in the industries that are overrepresented by Pacific Islanders. And Dr. Samoa says recently, people have gotten sick by going to funerals for people who had COVID. He says the pandemic is tough for Pacific Islanders who have strong community ties, but they're working with families to keep culture strong and stay safe. The Pacific way is when there's adversity um, that we show up for each other. Like that's the underlying value that we should hold true to. And that showing up for each other looks different today. That it looks like wearing a mask. Like it looks like reducing our, our, our physical contact. In Sacramento, Pacific Islanders are finding new ways to do that for each other. Thank you both for joining us. And thank you for all your details. Lisa Hafoka, Hofa Man's daughter, runs an online program to educate people from oceanic nations like Fiji, Tonga, and Samoa. They make it fun by using online quizzes. Youth members of their organization take the lead. Okay, this one is most people who test positive for COVID-19 are only severely ill, and that's true or false? False. Mm-hmm. That is false. The people that we're reaching out to, we have a personal connection with. We're all on the same cultural level. Some of us are language speaking and so meet people's understanding through language. It would probably mean more to them because it comes from someone like us. That's our presentation. So that's that part of your application done. Ofaman was back to work just a few weeks after testing positive for COVID. She's also educating Pacific Islanders about the disease. We want to empower them saying, learn for yourself so you can save others. Not just yourself, but you can save others. The city of Sacramento funds the work using federal stimulus dollars. Organizers hope the COVID education will continue even when and if the vaccine becomes available. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's correct. For the California Report, I'm Pauline Bartoloni in Sacramento.
Is it do as I say and not as I do? That seems to be the message some politicians are sending Californians when it comes to pandemic behavior and where the politicians choose to eat. First, there was Governor Newsom gathering in a group of 12 at the upscale French Laundry in Napa County, despite the governor's repeated warnings not to do that kind of thing. Now there's news that San Francisco Mayor London Breed attended a birthday dinner with seven other people at the same restaurant the day after the governor. And here in Southern California, Los Angeles County Supervisor Sheila Kuehl is being blasted by some for eating outdoors at a restaurant, just hours after she voted to ban outdoor dining in the county. Meanwhile, one L.A. area restaurant is defying the ban on outdoor dining, which went into effect on Monday, while poking fun at the politicians who didn't follow their own advice. KCRW's Benjamin Gottlieb brings us the story. There's a diner on the Pacific Coast Highway in Redondo Beach called Eats at Joe's. And during the lunch rush all this week, the place has been packed. There's a din of clanking dishes, ringing phones, and hurried chefs that fills this restaurant's cozy indoor space. But it's what's happening outside of the restaurant that, at least for right now, is remarkable. I couldn't close it. I just couldn't do it to my employees. Alex Jordan owns and operates Eat at Joe's. He's decided he's keeping his outdoor dining going, despite a county health order requiring he shut it down. But his employees are not his only motivation. Jordan has draped a tarp over his diner's sign that faces PCH. It reads, The French Laundry. A dig at Governor Gavin Newsom's recent indoor dining experience at a swanky wine country restaurant. It made me feel angry. When I saw him at that meal, like it was nothing, after he's preaching all this other stuff, the hypocrisy of it overwhelmed me. The sign and Jordan's stance toward the outdoor dining ban in Los Angeles went viral, especially in conservative circles. As for what will happen moving forward, that remains unclear. Police and sheriff's departments statewide have been reluctant to enforce health orders related to the pandemic. A spokesperson for the Redondo Beach Police Department says officers are taking note of businesses that do violate county health orders, but the department has no plans for any enforcement. For now, L.A. County Department of Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer says her office will work to educate restaurateurs about the new rules. But if they don't comply, there will be citations and or people can uh, have their uh, food permit revoked. Meanwhile, an overwhelming majority of L.A. restaurants are complying with the current ban, which is set to expire on December 17th. But with cases steadily rising, it's likely that that date will be extended. For the California Reports, I'm Benjamin Gottlieb in Redondo Beach. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. 
It was one of the deadliest maritime disasters in recent U.S. history. The September 2019 deaths of 34 people aboard a scuba diving boat off the coast of Santa Barbara when the vessel caught fire and sank. Now, the captain of that boat, Jerry Boylan, has been indicted on federal manslaughter charges. Boylan faces 34 counts of what's called seaman's manslaughter for misconduct, negligence, and inattention. Prosecutors say the captain failed to train his crew, conduct fire drills, and have a roving night watchman on duty the evening the boat caught fire. Boylan and four other crew members escaped from the flaming boat. All 33 passengers and one crew member perished when they got trapped in the vessel's sleeping quarters. Meteorologists say two-thirds of California is in some state of drought, and with little rain in the forecast, could this be the beginning of another prolonged dry spell? Cap Radio's Ezra David Romero looked into the question. The answer is maybe. Last year was dry, and this year La Nina is pushing storms north of California, and no rain is predicted this month. Dan McAvoy is a climate scientist with the Desert Research Institute in Reno. He says there's reason to believe we're at the beginning of another multi-year drought. So we're starting to kind of get into this overlapping dry seasons where we had last year ended up being really dry and we're falling into to drought this year again. But Michael Anderson, state climatologist with the Department of Water Resources, says it's too soon to know how dry the winter will be. We've had dry starts like this and have seen that storm door open in part of December that leads to then a wet December, January, February. Still, Anderson says warming temperatures are creating a sort of climate whiplash. Weather is becoming increasingly variable, which makes it tough to forecast what exactly will happen this season. For the California Report, I'm Ezra David Romero in Sacramento. California lawmakers are demanding accountability after it was revealed that a statewide unemployment scam was being run out of California jails and prisons. This week, officials confirmed at least $400 million in stolen benefits has been lost through the scheme. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has more. Legislators like San Francisco's David Chu are calling for hearings to figure out how the mass breach of the state's employment development department happened. One challenge that EDD has is uh, there are apparently less than 20 frontline investigators of fraud at EDD. We gave an authority to hire an additional 5,000 staffers this year. How is it that there are only 17 frontline investigators at EDD? Chu says EDD's lack of transparency has been a consistent barrier to the legislature figuring out how it can help the agency. This recent scam caps off a long list of issues revealed just in the past month. Incarcerated people and people on the outside filing claims in their names took advantage of vulnerabilities in the state's systems. California, unlike most other states, doesn't cross-reference prison rolls or county jail data with unemployment applications. And the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation says it's currently illegal for it to share inmates' social security numbers with the state's unemployment agency. understand that some of these inmates have been victims of identity theft themselves, which will have serious implications for them when they're released. So don't want to paint a broad brush here, but the fact that potentially the largest fraud in government history in our state may have occurred uh, with the PUA program and others is incredibly frustrating. In a letter to local prosecutors sent this week, Governor Gavin Newsom said the majority of the scam's fraudulent claims targeted the federal pandemic unemployment assistance program. Meanwhile, many applicants for this program continue to scramble to secure whatever benefits they can before the fund's set expiration date on December 26th. 
For The California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. And that's The California Report for Wednesday, December 2nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Have a great day, and thanks for listening. Support for The California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. And Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.